Hello and welcome back to the Polaris Travel Health Podcast. Thanks for tuning in with us this week. This week, Jaden and I will be discussing the Pfizer pediatric COVID vaccine. Yeah, I think there's kind of a lot of things to consider here. A lot of things that people might be curious about, um, all sorts of things to discuss. So first off, how does the pediatric vaccine differ from kind of like the regular or the standard, I guess you could say the standard Pfizer vaccine? Okay, well, basically how, how I probably would best describe some of the differences I um, would be the dose is different. I think that's the easiest thing to talk about. But I think well, let's let's just sort of back up maybe a little bit and talk about the ways that it's similar. The sure. mechanism of action of the vaccine, you know, using mRNA to create the immune response, it's exactly the same. The big difference here is the dosage. And so just to give some perspective, and, and we don't really haven't talked about the number of micrograms or anything like that previously, because <laughs> what was the point? Uh, there's only one strength. The standard version or the 12 plus version is a, a dose of 30 micrograms. Uh, this dose is only a dose of 10 micrograms. So one third the dose. And I guess what I would say there, there is, so you're getting one third the dose, but the dosing schedule is the same. And one of the differences though, between the, the pediatric and the adult or the standard version, the 12 plus version, is the concentration. This is, I found this is a little hard for people to wrap their heads around, but basically Pfizer has made a completely different formulation of the, this vaccine for the pediatric group. As I said, it's one third the dose, but it's been formulated in such a way that instead of giving like 0.3 of the standard dose is what is typically given, we're giving 0.2 of the pediatric dose. So, so we've had a lot of people asking us, why can't my child get one third of the adult dose and 0.1 mil? And isn't that going to be the same? And why is this different? Well, like I said, they've changed the concentration. They've changed the formulation a little bit, even though the ingredient themselves is the same. So we're doing a 0.2 mil dose for, uh, for the pediatrics. And that works out to being... 0.2 is one third of the standard dose. Well, seems like I said, I'm confusing myself by talking about it right now. <laughs> There's a bit of micro math involved there, it seems. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure all of the reasons why they've made this change. I, I can theorize about a couple of the reasons. Uh, one of them is measuring 0.1 mil is kind of hard to do. Right. So making it less concentrated so you have, have to give 0.2 it's still a very small amount but it's probably easier to measure out i think they've also done a couple changes in in the general formulation because this new version the pediatric version is actually much stabler more stable it's stable for 10 weeks after it's been thought out in the fridge instead of just 31 days so i think they've figured out some ways to improve the stability of the formulation the ingredients inside the vaccine the non-medicinal ingredients are very, very similar. Of the nine ingredients, I believe it is, seven of them are the same, and two of them are just affect the pH of the vaccine to make sure it doesn't hurt when, when you inject it. They're, they're different. So it's very similar, but not quite exactly the same. Right. Okay. And so you mentioned it's also going to be kind of a two-dose process similar to how the standard vaccine works, but is the kind of scheduling the same, like kind of the recommended spacing between the doses, is that the same? The recommended spacing is the same. And 
Pfizer has advised that you can get the two doses as close as 21 days apart. Now, to use an Alberta example here, the way AHS has been approaching doing these vaccines is that we're going to wait eight weeks between doses. And I think that's partly related to some of the things that, that happened previously with the adult doses. I think part of it is to make sure that there's time for an immune response, there's a time to get everyone a first dose. And we know that there's probably a little bit of evidence that shows that separating out the times between the doses probably has a beneficial effect as far as creating an immune response. So right now, officially, you can get it done three weeks apart. But practically speaking, here in Alberta, at least, if you try and get one done three weeks apart, they're not going to they're, they're not going to go for that at AHS. They're going to tell you to come back in eight weeks. Right. Okay. Okay. So should the side effects be predicted to be kind of fairly similar to what adults have experienced or will it kind of be, I would say, like less of a concern for kids? So what we know based on the studies and, and we know the studies are relatively small and we're not talking about thousands and thousands of people, uh, right. you know, the adult study for the Pfizer uh, like standard version vaccine, there were like 30,000 participants. There are nowhere near as many participants in the the five to 11 year old study. I think the number was, it was in the 2000s. So it's right. certainly a smaller sample size, but you know, I think we were looking for and found essentially very similar side effect profile. You know, the one difference, which is, or the one thing that, which is basically consistent throughout is that arm soreness and tenderness, local site reactions is still incredibly common. And we're still looking at probably a number in the 80 some percent range, which is very comparable to what the standard dose is. When we look at a couple of the other numbers, uh, some other local site reactions like redness and swelling for some reason seems to be a little bit higher in the pediatric version compared to the standard version. Not really sure why that is. The numbers are not way higher, but they are a little bit higher. But then when you look at the more systemic side effects like the fever and the chills and the joint pain, it does seem that when you compare to the uh, the 5 to 11 age group and the 5 to 11 strength compared to the 12 to 15 age group, for example, that got the three times the dose, like the standard dose, the incidence of side effects seems to be less. Like there seems to be less chills, less fever, uh, less muscle and joint pain. It's still there. It's still present. The numbers are lower and we still see higher incidence after the second dose compared to the first dose. But with the numbers that we have, they are lower. So maybe the whole concept of lowering the dose does lower the chances of having some of these adverse events. Right. Okay. Moving on from there, I know for the standard vaccine, there's kind of no longer a general concern about avoiding the flu shot within a 14-day range of having gotten either, say, like the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine, um, like the standard style. But I believe Health Canada is recommending that for those in this new age category, the 5 to 11, that they try to kind of schedule around that and try to avoid it within that two-week period. Would you say this is more kind of like a precaution or would you say this should be observed pretty strictly? It's exactly the same as how we did it with uh, adults when they were getting it done. When the vaccine first came out, we wanted to be in a situation where there was no other vaccines you know, close by because it just might muddle up the results if there's an adverse uh, reaction. Like I'll give you an example. Um, if you're... Um, a child and you're getting the pediatric vaccine 
and then two days later you're going to get your regular school shots or you're going to get a hep a shot for going on a trip and then a couple days after that you have develop a rash well the question right now is is it from the covid vaccine is it from the other vaccine so that's why we want to keep them nice and separate there's no actual medical reason from a covid vaccine is going to affect the other vaccine or, or vice versa like is sometimes a consideration when especially when we're talking about live vaccines but for these vaccines there's no reason for us to think that there's that kind of concern it's just more about trying to keep things separate so if to make sure our adverse event reporting is all nice and clear uh, and and we don't have a chance of getting things com- confused with, with different. Right, right. Okay. I also kind of wanted to chat a little bit about the approval process. Does it differ from the procedure for adults? Was it or was it sort of kind of an extension of the process for the standard vaccine once we had kind of completed that or had proceeded quite far into that testing type of situation. So what they've done is, you know, they've taken the vaccine, Pfizer's taken the vaccine, and then they, they've created these um, study groups for the 5 to 11 range. And there's several study groups going on and, and the data is, is, it's coming back, right? Like I, uh, the data, I believe in the monograph when I was looking at it, you know, was current up to some point in the middle of October. And one of the groups, I believe, there was much more complete data. There was another group where the data wasn't completed yet. I think the group I was talking about of the 2000 some, that was the, the quote unquote completed data for, for the moment where people had been at least two to four weeks after their second dose. And I think the second group, they were still not quite there yet. There was also groups that were given the vaccine also more with the eye to trying to spot adverse events, not necessarily effectiveness, but, but to monitor adverse events. This, these studies will continue to be going on, uh, but right now that's kind of how they've approached it. And like I said, they're, they're working on the principle that it is a different formulation, it's a different product. And so we kind of, you know, there, we obviously have a bit of shorthand in the sense that we know the vaccine did work for the standard dose, but we're still we're still considering it to be kind of its own product. Is that how's that for a non-answer answer? <laughs> I think I think that makes makes sense for the most part because it is it, as you said similar but not all the way similar. So yeah. Okay. What about kids that are under five? Do you think that it will be approved for them soon or ever? Do you think that that, do you know whether that's kind of in the process of being tested or is there kind of some ethical concerns there? There is some testing going on. I, I'm not really too familiar with how how advanced or how big some of those studies are. So I would say right now under five, uh, don't hold your breath. I would be my my short answer. I think uh, it would be a ways away, and it's it's more complicated. I'll put it to you this way, uh, Jane. When you start thinking about, say, a twelve year old, and then you think about, say, a ten year old or an eight year old, you know, obviously there's can be some physical differences in size. When you start talking about the maturity of the immune system, it's not that different. Your immune system, you know, is somewhat mature at that point but when once you start going down to that under five age range it really does like your immune system is not developed in the same way it is when you're six eight ten twelve so it gets 
a lot more complicated and different and, and little kids, their immune responses are different. So my sort of answer right now is that crossing that threshold of under five will be really pretty difficult, actually. Now, I'm not going to say it's never going to happen because I think, you know, they're working on it and it probably could happen at some point. But it's not like there's going to be a, an addendum onto this and like the beginning of the new year, they're going to be like, all right, let's do under five. I think that's very unlikely. Right. Okay. So you think there'll be a little bit more of a delay than we saw in this situation? Yeah, I have a feeling that a lot of uh, a lot of four year olds will turn five before <laughs> before uh, they they're they're going to age up into it as opposed to bringing the 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 restriction level down. Right. Okay. Uh, do you think that the pediatric vaccine will at any time kind of become a requirement for kids in the age group, say for something like, I don't know, elementary school or even middle school, that type of that type of thing? That's not the direction that we've been going in here in Alberta, at least. Uh, right. When we start looking at these, and again, I realize this is kind of Alberta specific because that's, that's where we're based out of, but um the government here has said that they're not going to be in enforcing, oh, you're seven years old and you're going to a hockey game. Do you have your, your vaccines done? Like that program, whatever they call it, the restrictions exemption, I, the program where you have to basically show your, your vaccine to, get, uh, to eat at a restaurant or go to an event. Um, right. They're not going to be doing that. So if you, like I said, if you, if you're vaccinated and you're bringing your eight-year-old to a hockey game, you're not going to have to show your eight-year-old's proof of, of, of vaccination. So certainly we're not going to be looking for to doing that in schools or anything like that. So I don't know, like the, the future is unclear. Um, I, my reaction right now would be that I have a hard time imagining that it would be a school requirement. We have not required any other vaccines for school like right now. In Alberta, there is no vaccine requirement. You could go, you could register for kindergarten and have never received any vaccines and it's not an issue. It's not a mandatory thing. I know that in some other provinces, that's different. And in, in the States, certainly a lot of states have rules like that. But uh, but here to register for public school, you don't need to show anything. It's never been a requirement. I would have a hard time imagining that there would be uh, the interest in pushing that forward and potentially denying kids school based on that. It, like I said, you know, never say never, but I think it's, I think it's unlikely. Oh, I was under the impression that we did have some sort of like base level, like you had to have the MMR and the, that type of vaccine in order to be registered in public school. Not at all. Not at all. Not in Alberta. Um, oh. And I know some provinces, like I want to say Ontario, but I'm not going to say for sure. My understanding is I think Ontario has stuff like that in place uh, to a degree. And in the United States, actually, weirdly enough, you would think that in the United States, they would be less restrictive about some of this stuff. Actually, no, most states have a policy that if you're going to public school, you have to have all your vaccines unless you get exemptions. And that's one of the things which has happened in the states is there's this big game that's being played in lots of states about making the restrictions looser and tighter. Like, can you get a religious exemption? Can you get a health exemption? Who Who's eligible to write an exemption? But in most states, if you're going to public school, you have to have vaccine proof. Now, if you're going to private school, that's different. But if, but uh, 
yeah, it, it's weird that Alberta does not have that as a requirement, but you could be 100% unvaccinated for measles, tetanus, everything, and you can register for school and it's not a problem. You're, you are allowed to do so. No one will ever question your, your vaccine records. Interesting. I was not aware of that. I was, I guess I was just kind of under the assumption that that was the case, but. I will jump in there and say one more thing, Jane. So now that being said, in certain post-secondary situations, you kind of have to have certain things done. Like one of the things we do here at Polaris quite regularly is we're doing back, uh, immunization reviews for healthcare students. Right. And so, for example, you're going to become a healthcare aide. Well, there are certain vaccines that you really need to have done. Like uh, you need to have your measles, mumps, rubella done. You need to have your tetanus updated. You need to make sure you've got chicken pox immunity. These kinds of things. This needs to be done. But, you know, interestingly enough, it's it's technically not a legal requirement of the school. But if you're going to go do a clinical rotation at a nursing home, they'll say, well, we'll, we'll take your students and have, have them, uh, um, you know, have a learning experience here. But one of the requirements we have is they got to be up to date on their vaccines. So so even there, it's technically maybe not a requirement per se to, to get your schooling, but you really can't complete your schooling unless you do your clinical. That makes sense? Yes. Yeah, that does make sense. And I mean, personally, I think that makes sense as a general rule. You wouldn't, you know, want to be bringing stuff into the nursing home or into any type of healthcare situation like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think sure. a, a lot of parents are wondering about the risks, whether or not to vaccinate their kids for COVID specifically wondering kind of like what maybe the cost benefit analysis is what's kind of your stance on that my stance on it right now is you know based on the data that we have uh, i think that the the risk seems to be pretty low i look at the the numbers from the study and i know the study is smaller i you know that is that is true right uh, but that being said millions of people have had doses of this at it like in the higher age ranges and we've been giving a lot of doses to you know, 12 to 15 year olds, like I have a 10 year old and an eight year old. I really don't think my 10 year old's immune system is that drastically different than a 12 year old who got like three times the dose. And, right. and there are no shortage of people around the world who have gotten that dose. So I kind of feel like the risk from that standpoint is low. I, some of the, certainly some of the more conspiratorial aspects, like those have been debunked either way right so it's not you know uh, i understand people have concerns but i i think that you know there's there's no evidence to support any of that so i feel pretty good overall and, and uh i i think that's that's where i would look at it right now you know people have said made the argument that the vaccine is the concern about the vaccine is well kids don't really get that severe now illness but they still get sick and there still is the risk for long-term complications. And, you know, it's lower than it is for adults, but we really don't know what the future holds. And, and so in my risk-benefit analysis, I, I, think, I think the benefit is there. And I can even tell you here, again, personal sample size, there have been more COVID notices at my kid's school here the last couple of weeks than there have been all through this whole thing. So I really think it's starting to work its way in more into the into the school system so yeah anyway i have uh, you know i wish 
our clinic had access to the vaccine. I, but I am taking my kids to get vaccinated through the public health system this week. I, I've got the appointment booked. We're just going to get it done this week. And uh, I guess that, I guess if that shows you my level of confidence. Definitely. Definitely. Speaking of that though, will you, do you think you'll eventually be able to supply it at your clinic or do you think it'll kind of mainly remain in the hands of AHS in Alberta specifically, I guess? Hard to say for sure. What my gut tells me is that we will eventually get access to it. Right. Um, just because I think that as time goes on and um, we're going to want to make sure to increase access, you know, one of the problems that we ran into through the adult go around was that some of the vaccine uptake wasn't as good and in some areas. And part of the reason that uptake wasn't as good was because, um, because we were in a situation where access was harder. And I think that, you know, one thing about having non-AHS sites do vaccines is that it just, it, it just increases making it easier. And so I think what will probably end up happening, and I have no inside knowledge on this, but what I'm guessing is probably sometimes in the new year, they're going to increase the ability for other sites to be able to access the vaccine. But that's, again, I'm not, I'm not working that with any specific knowledge base. That's just what seems to make sense and with the evolution of how it's going to go down and, and previously. Right, right. Okay. Question for you that I was kind of just thinking about. If there is a kid out there, say, who is 11, kind of on the verge of turning 12, should they wait to get the standard vaccine or should they go ahead and get the pediatric version? I think at this point, I would just get the, the pediatric version. We've been actually giving, uh, we as in, uh, in general in Alberta, we've been giving the adult version, the standard version of the vaccine out to anybody born in 2009. So even people that were had not all the way turned 12 yet. So, right. so, but if you're in the age range where like you turned 11, you know, within the last little bit here and, and I, I would just do the pediatric version. I don't think I'd want to wait. I think uh, if you're going to do it, I would probably just as soon do it sooner. And, and there's no real there's no real evidence that waiting longer to get the higher dose is going to be that beneficial that we've seen yet. Okay, cool. All right. Anything else you want to mention about the pediatric Pfizer vaccine? No, I don't think so. I think uh, it's a big topic, right? And it's, uh, but I think it's uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, everyone, I get how people, parents are concerned and how their concerns, even though that they got the vaccine themselves and they, they can be hesitant in regards to having their kids vaccinated. But, you know, I don't know, I guess right now, um, you know, I, I don't know what is the best answer and how to assure them. Hopefully some of the things that I've talked about and said here, you know, might help weigh things out in, in, and and help make these decisions easier. But, uh, but I think overall, I, I think the there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence of, of significant risk and the benefit is definitely there. You know, we've seen kids getting COVID and, and you know, I, I just think that, uh, I think it's a good call overall, but, uh, and all I can really say is on our, on our end, like I'm, I'm always open to trying to, to talk to people and be a resource to, to provide this information. Obviously I'm, I'm on board with the vaccine and, and in favor of it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I can appreciate people's concerns and I can, you know, I, I'd like to think that uh, 
you know, you, you have to look at these things, you know, as analytically as you can and try and look at things from a risk benefit and also try to avoid a lot of anecdotal stuff. You know, I, I you know, anecdotal stuff just kills me sometimes when I, I see some of the things people are reporting and they're not, you know, a lot of it, there's not a lot of basis of you know, anecdotal evidence is not really true evidence. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Facebook evidence isn't necessarily where we want to be doing our research, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Polaris Travel Health Podcast. A reminder that the information and advice provided in this podcast are not a substitute for live medical advice tailored to your itinerary and your medical history. If you have questions or you would like to book an appointment, please head over to our website, www.polaristravelclinic.ca. As well, check us out on Twitter at Polaris Travel RX and our Facebook page as well. We hope you'll tune in again with us next week. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you.